Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. Through the years, these studies have looked at the books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, and Hebrews. At times, we will have studies devoted to Jewish cultural events or issues relating to Israel and prophecy. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. This information will be repeated at the end of the podcast. Enjoy the Bible study. So, John chapter 3, part 2. And I think in the time that we have left here tonight, we can finish John chapter 3 and part 2. Starting in verse number 17 as kind of a um, review. Last time we were together, we went through verse 18. So John chapter 3. Okay, we've seen Jesus' first miracle at the wedding in Cana, the first Passover of Jesus' earthly ministry. We've also examined Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus about being born again. So as some background, we went over this last time, but these two verses here to give us some, uh, some context. Verse 17 of John chapter 3, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus will return as King of kings and judge of all. At his first coming, he came as the Lamb, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And we looked into that last time we were here. Verse number 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those without Christ stand condemned already. And we talked about, this is, this is parallel, to Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 23. Um, let's go ahead and turn there um, because it kind of segues into verse 19. So keep your finger in John, turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And if there's any questions, comments, or discussion, let me, let me know. It's a privilege to be able to... Uh, to teach here, especially on a night that we have a meal, because it's a full house. <laughs> okay, Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. I think I might be a little bit, am I ringing in your guys' ears? 
a little bit. Okay, let me turn the um, input number two down just a tad. Um, okay, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now, this is this was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome in the first century, but this perfectly describes our modern world today. They've changed the glory of God like unto corruptible man. I mean, we're God, aren't we? We're God now. According to modern thinking, you're your own God. You know, you don't need any quote-unquote higher power. You are the higher power. According to what this world teaches, secular humanism, uh, and then, you know, save the whales but kill the babies kind of thing and uh, all kinds of stuff, just glorifying creation and, um, you know, putting down what God teaches in his word about himself and about mankind. We've got it all topsy-turvy. Um, so back to John. Uh, let's get back to John. You can read Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16 um, later, if you'd like. It has the same kind of idea. Um, they're without excuse. God has showed himself to them. Um, you ever talk to an atheist or somebody that doesn't believe that God exists and ask for proof? Tell them to look in the mirror. I mean, just ourselves. It's incredible. Nobody would ever dream, you know, of any, like, okay, this phone, if, if I, you know, had all the components of it and I just threw it in the air, what are the chances that a, a, a working phone um, is going to come together in, 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 in thin air? Okay, well, what if, I, what if I laid out all the pieces or even put them in a pile nicely um, and waited a couple billion years? Is that phone going to, you know, get a signal and get a call? No, it's absurd. Look in the mirror. I mean, we're organic, and yet we are so much farther advanced than anything technical that man can create. Um, they're without excuse. Uh, they're condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, are we all ready to get into new ground? Okay, verse 19, uh, the condemnation. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. All right, so near the beginning of John chapter 1, bless you, John chapter 1, and you can go ahead and look back there, uh, just turn a couple pages back here, the beginning of John chapter 1. Verse 7, actually go up to verse 4. Now this is talking about Jesus, Jesus the Word of God, God in the flesh. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And, and verse number 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So right now, in the beginning of the book of John, we're seeing that Jesus is the light. He is the true light. He is the light of the world. Um, verse number 7, uh, talking about John, there, uh, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. 
That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So Jesus is the light, and here we see a comparison in John chapter 3, and starting in verse number 19. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody about salvation, about uh, the truth of the gospel, and they just they, they, they don't want to hear it. That's kind of what this is, is, is talking about here. And I've talked to some people, uh, some very close to me, uh, for a long time about the gospel. Sat down with them, went through the whole entire thing, and I had a response that was, when they were faced with a decision, they said, well, I understand what you're saying, but I really like where I'm at right now. They just chose to refuse the light because they don't want their deeds to be reproved, and they love darkness rather than light. This isn't just something that's, you know, the first century when Jesus was first on the scene and first uh, in his public ministry, but this is 2,000 years later, we're still in the same boat. When you're talking to somebody about the Lord, be it a Jewish person or a Gentile person, you have to do it in the power of the Spirit. The Lord has to be with you. The Lord has to be working through you. In our flesh, we're not going to accomplish anything because we're fighting against their desire to hold on to darkness. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's a battle that we face, and uh, boy, you remember when you first got saved? You remember what it was like when you first trusted the Lord, when you first became born again? Eighteen years ago for me, I trusted the Lord, and it was probably like three in the morning in a dark room. I was sleeping over at my friend's house. We both got saved together that night. And one of the things that I remember realizing at that moment was like a battle had just been fought for my soul. And realizing uh, the gravity of that, the unseen world that, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the prince of the power of the air, the principalities, all those things that we wrestle against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul says. But all of those things are trying against us and trying to thwart God's plan. Now, they're not going to be able to thwart God's plan, but the Lord has given man a free will. I mean, anyway, those are the things that we're up against when we're talking to people about the Lord. Um, and uh, to borrow the words of this passage, everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's what we see in the media. That's what we see in popular thought. That's what we see in, quote-unquote, uh, you know, scientific reasoning. It's not scientific. It's religious, and it does not want to acknowledge the truth of the Word of God, the truth of, of Jesus, the truth of the light, the truth that God created everything, because if they would do that, they would then become accountable to the creator of all those things. The Bible says they're without excuse. God has showed it to them. They, they suppress the truth. They hold the truth down in unrighteousness. Uh, they're willingly ignorant, and this is the condemnation. Um, any questions, comments at this point? Because we're going to kind of switch gears. Yes? Yes. Mm -hmm. I've had a couple of instances where I've been talking to somebody about the Lord, and they may have just wanted to go through the motions just to make me happy or get me off their back. 
But if the Lord is not in it, if the Lord is not wooing them and working in their heart and life, if it's not conviction coming from him that they need to then yield to and trust him as Savior, it's going to do as good as nothing. You know? Um, amen, brother. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. And so, I mean, men, <clears throat> in this passage, and in, in, in what you're saying, when that wooing does happen, when God is trying to convict somebody, and you can tell, I mean, I've seen people under heavy conviction and they turn the other way. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's why we need to pray. We need to, we need to go in prayer. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for the people we talk to. By the way, that guy up there, Moshi, um, is it, uh, started with a K. He was, he, he was up there. You remember him? Okay. Ken Overby and I, we witnessed to him in Israel last year, planning on going talking to him again. He's a really, really nice guy, a store owner in, in, uh, the old city. So that was kind of neat, but, uh, we need to go in prayer because Dan, or Ken, we're, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to accomplish anything. It's the Lord that's going to be the one to do it. And as we follow his leading in planting the seed, he gives the increase. So uh, he's the one that's going to convict. He's the one that's going to save, not us. And yet he decides to use us in his plan to be able to give that message. And so it's very humbling. Okay, so the location now, this is an interesting thing, and I'm, I'm real excited about this. I've, as I've been working on this um, video series that we've been producing with, uh, with Keith McGilligan about biblical geography, lessons from the land, I've been learning things almost by osmosis. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing all the different things with the video and, and technical aspects and everything, and yet I'm seeing this over and over and over and over again just in my review and trying to get it done, and I'm learning things without even trying. So <laughs> I've become a lover of biblical geography. So if... Uh, if Keith saw this, he would be really happy about that. Um, so the location. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. Okay, and you can see on the map to the left, and you know that video is going to like play right into because you just saw everything. You saw everything up there. So here on the left, you have Judea or Judah, okay, on the bottom in the green, and that's the region of Judah or Judea, and then we have Samaria and then you go up and you see Galilee, okay? So Samaria is the region right around there, and the West Bank today, the quote-unquote West Bank, is Samaria and Judea, and yet it is uh, overrun by those that hate God's people. Um, anyway, okay, so Jesus is baptizing, uh, or, or Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Um, and we read, I, I think it's later here, that it wasn't Jesus doing the baptizing, but it was his disciples. Um, but it says, and John was also baptizing. Now, John is not in Judea. John is not down in that green area, Judea. John was also baptizing in Anon or Anon near to Shalem. Now, in our English, probably all of our translations say Salim or, uh, or Salim. Yes. Okay, now Bethlehem, you see Jerusalem on the bottom there? Okay, Bethlehem is like 
right there. It's right below Jerusalem. I think it's like seven miles, maybe, south of Jerusalem. Um, so I think that on this map here on the left, either Bethlehem is not in the map, and it should be, almost touching Jerusalem to the south, um, or it's just off the edge of the map, just barely south of Jerusalem, just a little bit. So here when it says Salem or Shalem, we think, well, that's Jerusalem. No, well, it's not. This is a different location. And um, it's a location that is probably, you see up there Decapolis, um, the orange kind of area on the upper right. There's a little place um, just west of the Jordan River called Tel Salem or Tel Shalem. And a Tel in Israel is like a biblical archaeological site where uh, generation after generation of civilization within that city has been built on top of it and 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 now it's covered in grass if it's unexcavated and this is what we find in Israel it's amazing to see some of those things um, but this is one of them Tel Shalem and it is completely untouched it's unexcavated but um, there's a guess that Enon or Enon is right near uh, where that Tel Shalem is. Now, it's interesting. He says, uh, John was baptizing in Enon near to Shalem or Salem because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized for John was not yet cast into prison. Kind of like a little hint of the future of what's going to happen here. Um, with John, John the Baptist, that is. And if you look at the picture to the right, okay, see the picture to the right? You see that little um, bottom corner where it's kind of dusty, dirty kind of area? You're standing on Tel Shalem right there. That is Tel Shalem. You look into the distance, and it's kind of hard to see in the way that it's printed out, but there's like pools of water. There's like reservoirs, kind of like springs, natural springs in that area around this unexcavated tell called Shalem. And I thought this was really neat. Um, Enon, in the red there, some people pronounce it Enon or Enon. I guess there's a lot of churches that are like Enon Baptist Church or something. It means fountain or spring. So one of the places that we're going to go in Israel is called Ein Harod, which is Gideon's spring. Ein meaning spring or fountain. Enon is Greek. This is the only occurrence of this word in the Bible, Enon. And it's not a proper name of a place, necessarily, but it's a Hebrew word for spring or fountain that's been kind of transliterated into Greek. Um, much like Judah in Hebrew, or Yehuda in Hebrew, became Judea in the Greek. So we have Ain, which is a fountain, uh, kind of like, you know, pronounced like ain't without the T. That's the Hebrew word for fountain. Enon is that same word, but in Greek, meaning fountain. Jesus is in, Ju in Judah baptizing, or Judea. John the Baptist is not. He is in the spring, Enon, near Salem. Uh, the actual location is uncertain. The leading candidate is a spring next to a mound called Tel Radrag, or Tel Shalem, eight kilometers, which I guess is what, like four miles, uh, south of Beth Shan or Beth Shan. 
which is another place we're going to go in Israel. Uh, don't you want to go to Israel? <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Um, so this is where John is. John is in Decapolis, that northern area, and Jesus is where? Jesus is in Judea, down south. Okay. Sometimes if you just read through this um, without really looking into it, you see the word Salem, you think it's Jerusalem, that's in Judea. John and Jesus, they're together in Judea, but they're not. Salem is a different place, it's up north. Um, okay. We all good? Okay. Got about 10 minutes or so to uh, happily end this uh, Bible study. Um, I heard a uh, missionary, uh, you guys ever heard of Ed Edgar Fagali? He's a missionary to um, the Middle East. Great guy. Um, anyway, he's, he was at a, at, a, at a conference, and he, as a missionary, he said, you know, raising your support, he said, keep it short, get support. So <laughs> I don't forget that one. Okay, so the glorification. The glorification, John the Baptist is desiring that Jesus be glorified. In this last section here, and by the way, I didn't know how long I would have, so I did... John chapter 4, part 1 on the back. So you can save that for next time, tuck it in your Bible, but we'll try and finish John chapter 3 uh, here tonight. There arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. Interesting. There arose a question between some of John's disciples, John the Baptist, and the Jews about purifying. Now, you, do you guys remember back? I don't know what your memories are like. If they're like mine, then we're in trouble. <laughs> But back when I talked about the mikvah, and I had a video talking about that Jewish practice of not only uh, in the book of Leviticus, the person would go to the mikvah for an immersion, for an immersion bath, just like she talked about in the video uh, with the Gihon Spring. Um, but they would do that to their utensils as well, um, to make their utensils kosher. Lepers would go there to be cleansed, um, you know, and, and that kind of thing. There's different kinds of purification rituals that deal with the mikvah. So, there arose a question between some of John's disciples, John the Baptist, and the Jews about purifying. And they came to John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. So these Jews are coming to John the Baptist's disciples, and they say to John, Rabbi, Jesus is baptizing over there, and everyone's going to him. Do you see the connection between, this is a question about purifying, and then what he asks them has to do with baptism? It's because of the mikvah. The mikvah, the ritual bath, the purification, immersion that's done even in Judaism today when somebody converts to Judaism, when somebody gets married in the Orthodox, before they go to the synagogue, they'll go to the mikvah, which is kind of like a baptismal font, okay? And they'll do it all the time. This is where baptism comes from. John is baptizing, and the Jewish people that are either unbelieving or on the brink of believing, whatever, they come to John and they, they have a question about purifying. They have a question about this ritual. And they say, Jesus is baptizing and everybody's coming to him. Okay, do you see that connection there? Purification, baptism, it's all linked together in the idea of the mikvah, the ritual bath, the immersion. That's what John is doing. He's saying, the Messiah is coming, get ready. Show, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Show some action that you have a repentant heart and that you're ready for the Messiah. Come down into this water, River Jordan, or wherever John happens to be, and, and, and do, a, do a baptism, do an immersion to show that you're desiring the Messiah, that you're serious about repentance. Um, 
And so they say, aren't you jealous, basically? I mean, everybody's going to Jesus. He's baptizing down there. Doesn't that make you a little bit, you know, upset? Aren't you a little bit miffed? Because everybody's going to him. Nobody's coming to you. What does John say? John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Everything that we have, all of our blessings, I think is it in the book of James where it says every perfect gift, every good gift, every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, uh, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Okay, everything that we have, all of our blessings, our life, uh, you know, our everything. And John here isn't saying it in reference to what God has called him to do. It comes from the Lord. Um, everything is, is, it comes from him. And I just want to be obedient to what he wants me to do. And I told you already, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that is supposed to get all the glory. I'm not the one that everybody's supposed to follow. All I'm trying to do is point people to him. And this whole passage, I love this passage, verses 25 through 36, um, because it is so descriptive of what our attitude should be like. We're not John the Baptist, okay? We're not called to go, you know, preach in the wilderness and eat locusts and wild, you know, and, and honey in the same way. We're all called to preach. But we are called to do is point people to Christ, just like John. We are called to glorify him, just like John. We are called to preach just like John, preach that Jesus is the Messiah to every creature. And so uh, John is, you know, bold here, and he says, I already told you. I already told you that I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent before him. And then listen to this. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. How many of you have ever been in a wedding before? Okay, I mentioned that I got saved about 18 years ago with my friend, slept over his house, okay. Um, he got married, and then like seven days later, I got married. I was his best man, he was mine. So, <laughs> but uh, it was just great, you know. Um, I was about to get married in seven days, okay. But on that day, one week prior, everything's about him. And I'm loving it. You know, I'm trying to just make it enjoyable for him, and it's a joy to me. It's just a whole different world. And so he's saying that the one that has the bride, and who's the bride of Christ? Uh, isn't that amazing? I mean, praise the Lord. Don't ever take anything for granted, um, because it's just such a blessing. These things that we don't even really, I mean, I'm speaking for myself. I don't dwell upon these things as much as I should, the blessings that God has given uh, you and I, to be able to live in this day to see stuff like that and to go to Israel. Um, anyway, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. The one that has the bride is the groom. But the friend of the groom, which stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the groom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. That's John's attitude. He's saying, I don't want to take any glory from Jesus. I don't want to, you know, that's not my purpose. My purpose is the opposite. My purpose is to point to him. My purpose is to glorify him, and point others to him. And this is what we have to do. And then I love this verse, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. You ever see, um, this is slightly off subject, but you ever see those bumper stickers or window stickers? When I first saw it, I thought it said hecky, like H-E-K-I, but it's not. 
it's he, okay, and then it has a greater than symbol, and then it has the letter I. And that makes me think of this. He is greater than I. Um, he must increase, but I must decrease. Do we have that attitude? Lots of times, if we're not careful, this old flesh will try and get the opposite going. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I heard a pastor one time say, um, and he was quoting somebody else, but he said, we got, we got three enemies, and we got the world and the devil coming from the outside trying to break in, and the flesh is trying to unlock the door from the inside. <laughs> so that's what we're up against. And the world, the flesh, and the devil, they don't want Christ to be glorified. I mean, Satan would love for us to just be like, okay, I need to increase. You know, we won't, we won't even bother saying he needs to decrease because we don't want to say that. But in our hearts, we think, you know, if we're going to increase, guess who's going to be the first one to decrease? We should not have that attitude. We should have the opposite. We should point to him. We should decrease. We should say, I don't care about my life. I want you to be glorified. Um, do you feel that way? I hope we all do. Uh, and it's something that we have to constantly keep ourselves in check because, you know, Satan, he's busy. He's a busy guy. Okay. So he must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. Oh, and by the way, okay, some of you are going to be very glad for me to say this. I was wrong. Okay? <laughs> I retract my, my, my previous statement. You remember in John chapter 3, just a couple verses previous, where John is talking to Nicodemus, and we talked about this last time, and I have to, I have to apologize and retract my statement, okay? When he says in verse number 11, Verily, verily, I send to thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. Okay? I said that my leaning was towards that being Jesus speaking of the believers, okay? those that are following him, uh, and, and you know that kind of thing. And somebody or a couple people made the, made the question or statement, you know, could this be Jesus referring to the Trinity? You know, he himself, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. We speak the things that we do know. We testify, and you receive not our witness. I'm flipping, okay? I think that that's correct. I think that it is Jesus referring to the Trinity. You receive not our witness. Bob's giving me the thumbs up, okay. You receive not our witness. We testify that we have seen and that we have heard, and... Um, and you receive not our witness. Look in verse number, um, let's see, verse number 32. John chapter 3, verse number 32. This is John the Baptist talking to the Jewish people that are saying that, you know, Jesus is doing more than you are. Aren't you jealous? John says, he that, he that hath received his te testimony, whoops, okay, verse number 32. And what he hath seen and heard. He's talking, this is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. What he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. Parallel wording to the previous passage in John chapter 3. And, and John the Baptist just said, He that cometh from heaven is above all. What he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. I'm convinced. Okay? So that's what it is. Um, anyway, that's what you get for looking at commentaries. Don't do it. <laughs> I was duped. Okay, so, um, verse number 33. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. 
For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. He's saying that Jesus has authority, Jesus has power, Jesus has truth, Jesus has life, Jesus has the right to speak all of these things because he has seen it and he has heard it, even though a majority of people within the nation of Israel are not receiving that testimony. For the Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. See, John's whole, this whole entire passage can be summed up by, in, in John's attitude of saying, he needs to increase, and I need to decrease. Everything kind of falls into that kind of category uh, of statement. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But to kind of bring it full circle to verse 17, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Because he hath not believed, he's condemned already. Now, we will try and get into John chapter 4, okay, next time. But that rounds off John chapter 3 um, with an amazing idea and a thought of how we as believers need to act in our attitude towards him and towards us. And one of humility and service and glorifying him and lifting him up. Any questions or comments? Anybody? Okay. We're all ready to go to Israel, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer, and, and we'll finish up. Thank you, Lord, once again for this night. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the amazing... Shalom. This is Mark Robinson. Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to, or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.